Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 103 of the Corona Diaries. <sighs> Holy Mary, mother of God. We took a big risk there, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. no definite telling whether I would breathe out again. No. But no. I did, so we're we're laughing. Do you, do you want to say why or not? Yes. Happy Easter Rona, everybody. I've got it. Um, I tested positive on Good Friday. Good Friday. <laughs> I blame Judas Iscariot. Yeah. You wouldn't be the first. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, no, I dare say he's been done for all sorts. Yeah, his cards were marked fairly early on, I mm. think. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they nobbled him in the big book, to be honest. Mm. Um, so when do you, is, is that a weekend thing? Is that a plane thing? Is it, do you, can you plot it back? Not really. I mean, obviously, I I, I did, did the weekend in Poland. I felt fine. And then I... Um, then, then I flew from Warsaw. I mean, the, there was a very nice bloke who was a journalist who gave me a lift to the airport and that was a long journey. That was a cosy, nearly two hours in a mm. car with him. I don't know if he had it. Uh, then I went, you know, then I got on a plane with a load of Poles and Danes and various other nationalities, no doubt, but but predominantly Poles and Danes. Um, Being a flight in between Poland and Denmark. Yes. Well, that's yeah. how I worked it out. Yeah. It sounds like a Paul Simon song, doesn't it? Paul. <laughs> Danes <laughs> it and Poles. actually. Poles and Danes. Uh, and um, it could have been that. Anyway, I felt fine until I got here and then I started to feel a bit like I'd caught a cold. Yeah. A head cold. And to be honest, it didn't and still doesn't feel serious enough to be Rona, so I didn't bother testing. And then the other night, the nurse said, you know, you should take a test. So I did, and sure enough, I had the two lines. So, two lines on the test. So I've got it. You know what I'm going to say next, don't you? (laughs) What? (laughs) Croongast. It's coming up. It's coming up. COVID's coming up. Yeah, it's written itself. Okay. Well, I haven't got an an instrument. I could do it a cappella. That's my only choice. Either that, or a al- or along with with the piano to Pearls the singer again, but it probably <laughs> won't quite work. I think a cappella would work. I can hear it with some like Beach Boys harmonies underneath. <laughs> well, there'll do be you know quite, what? I bet you could do it to God only knows. It'll be quite nasal. Could I be bet quite nasal. you could do it to God only knows. Jeez. Right. Okay. Well, well, let me contemplate that later in the day if. If I'm still vertical. Right. But you feel all right. You I feel, feel all right. And you I'm look in, all right. I'm in, yeah, I'm in Denmark. I thought I had terrible, terrible uh, purple shadows under my eyes, actually, when I when I was cleaning my teeth last night. Then I realised it was the lighting. <laughs> they weren't there at all. So I was, all, I was just about to phone for an ambulance. God, I look <laughs> dreadful. And then I moved, and I suddenly looked fine. So um, it, wouldn't that be awful if you, you rang up and said I look dreadful, and they arrived and said you do you, you do look dreadful. Nothing wrong with you, you just look dreadful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you look dreadful, Mister Cooper. You need to lie down for a little while. Oh, thanks very much. Um, 
So, um, yeah, hello, everybody. It's lovely to be talking to you from Denmark by the sea, where uh, we're we're having a little break, which uh, it mostly uh, comprises of painting and screwing things on and frantic yeah. shopping, uh, followed by frantic returning of things that weren't quite right and more shopping and frantic... Uh, you know, building of stuff in an Ikea sort of Allen Key frenzied style. There's been a lot of that as well. Did you see that thing that Ikea did? That Ikea put out um, a bar of chocolate with a yellow wrapper and put flat pack Easter egg on it. <laughs> a, Which I thought was brilliant. A flat pack Easter egg? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Gosh. Just a normal bar of chocolate. But how, rebranded. How do you assemble a, an Easter? Well, I don't egg? think you're supposed to. I think it was. I think it. I think it's in the joke. Oh, I see. I think you're just supposed to instantly laugh right. at it and accept the fact it's. Ch- I don't think you're supposed to melt it in some strange way to right. make it into an egg. Right. And the Allen key doesn't break your teeth while you're eating it. No. Right. No. It's they, not they in the chocolate. Put an Allen key in. <laughs> they missed a trick there. Right. Well, haven't you got enough? <laughs> I've got loads, yeah. Yeah, um, and they're all the same size. I'm knee-deep in them here, yeah. you know, jingling away as we walk from one side of the room to the other. Yeah. yeah. Which is fine, provided you've got something to to Alan key in that's that size. Oh, I have. I've got a, I've got a very impressive tool set, actually, um, of sort of star-shaped and Alan Key-esque tools that I bought mm-hmm. in um, kitchen fitters. Once it was an impulse buy, it was behind the uh, just behind the till, and it was in a yellow box. And I thought, Oh, look at that! I'm gonna have that sodded. And do you know, it's been about the most useful thing known to man. Here's something that your non Danish listeners won't know, Anthony. Um, and that is that if you go to a hardware shop here in Denmark and buy little screws. They haven't got crossheads or flatheads. They've got the funny little hex holes in them. Ah. And you need, you know, those those hexagonal tools to, to, to even screw a screw in in Denmark, which is a bit strange. But, you know, I went through all the drawers looking for alternative heads and there were none. And the other thing you non-Danish or Scandi um, listeners might not know is that the big hardware shop in the local town is called Bauhaus, um, which has nothing to do with Pete Murphy, but is in fact a big sort of store like B&Q. So that's Bauhaus, and they don't sell um, designer furniture from the 30s. They, They sell tools and hardware and stuff. So uh, I've been back to to Bauhaus. In fact, I, I've got a very strong suspicion I left my sunglasses there because they've vanished. <laughs> <laughs> Just as the fucking sun came out. <laughs> oh, well, you were on the search of a little precision trowel, probably. <laughs> um, actually, fully enough, the light's a lot better in that room because that... that Sort of gouge in the side of your in the side of your head. He's not not visible at all this morning. That could have been a pre-COVID scar. A <laughs> pre-COVID scar. Maybe that's what what it was. You know, the terrible gouge in my head. No, it's still there. When it's you turn into light, it's still there. Yeah, it's fading yeah. away. It's it's not it's something like as bad as it was. But I have been so, gr- I've been grouting and filling. I've done a lot of that in the last mm. few days. Um, I'm going to have to ask then. So hmm. do you buy screwdrivers with the hex heads on in the same way we would buy crosshead and flathead screwdrivers? I think you probably can, although I haven't seen them. Right. But as I said, I've got this very impressive little array, little set. array of... Yes, a little set yes. that I bought in the kitchen fitters in Brackley. Now, what the hell are they called? They're not Halfords. That's bikes. Something else. Howdens? Howdens, exactly. Yeah. And I can tell you, do you know why they're called Howdens? Uh, yes, but isn't it where they used to be located? They isn't s- it on the way to Bridlington? Exactly. 
Exactly. Jeez, I've been you're... past it because it's what used to be MFI. It's the same company that was part MFI. All they used to make, no, they used to make kitchens for MFI. Um, you're getting the gold now, folks. Yeah, you're getting the gold. I'm just. I'm this just is a fiver's worth of anybody's money. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how fast the purple numbers will go down after 103. <laughs> They're probably bailing out like rats off a ship yeah. at the moment. Yeah, and who could blame yeah. them? But you're right. There's there's some ser- this is almost public service podcasting. Mm. Howdens, yes. Howdens. Impulse purchase, best thing I ever bought. Lots of hexagonal little diddly widdly tools. Diddly, yeah. Mm. You you've you've got impressive tackle. That is what you say. That's all you're saying. <sighs> Let's leave that there. Let's leave that there. It's in a um, jar. I'm sorry. It's in a jar. Pickling my impressive tackle. <laughs> right. Well, tip of the iceberg. That's all I'm saying. That's a private joke, folks. A joke about privates. Indeed. And it was a step too far. A private young joke. Vibes. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking randomly like this before we started recording. It's not it's not improved any, has it? No, are we are we going to trouble this episode with structure or are we just going to carry I on? I think it's I think that ship's already sailed. Mm. Okay. Really, the the th- it's funny actually because I didn't quite know how to do this episode because actually when we get to the diary reading, it's quite a, it's quite a you know sober. Not one of planet Earth's better days. No, that's for sure. No, so maybe it needs a bit of fluff around it. Mm. Um, otherwise, we'd be wallowing, wouldn't we? Yeah, we shouldn't wallow. Not with no. everything that else is going on at the moment. I mean, you get to that point, don't you? You get into that sort of trenches humour, really, at some point, mm. where you've just got to whistle a happy tune and have a laugh and... Talk you about know. your screwdriver set. Yeah. Smoke a fag, even if you yeah. don't smoke. Even if you don't smoke. <laughs> yes. Um, so I need to ask now, because I don't know, how far away is the sea? Oh, OK. Um well, I would say if you measured it with a, a, a tape measure, well, obviously you'd need a few. But um, I would say, I would say, you know, as the crow barks, about four hundred yards. Wow, that close! Yeah, not far. Um, you know, half a kilometre maybe. Right. Yeah. Can you see it from the window? Yeah. Instagram moment at some point over the weekend? It doesn't photograph well because it's... Oh, man, that's another thing as well. On the subject of not photographing well, there was a moon last night, the likes of which I have never seen, man. It came up uh, on the horizon, and it was a vivid orange, like a sunset. Did you catch that? Did that I, happen I, in England? I, I, was there any I word about it? I didn't see the moon. Uh, I, I could check. I they haven't usually, noticed this morning. They usually talk about them, don't they? Super moons and blue moons and this moon and that moon and red moon and bronze moon. But, mm. but And then you look at them and go, oh, and they usually look more or less the same. But like this one was amazing. It was like a sunset and it was, it, it was huge as it came up. And by pure chance, there was a there was a stripe of cloud through it right in the very middle, so it looked like, a, you know, just like a like, like one of those tube station maps, um, but totally incredible. But again, you know, you you go, wow, I'm going to photograph that, and you do, and it's it's just a, a vague dot. Mm. Um, and the sea here, were were I to photograph it from the window would be really unimpressive but right. but it is actually perfectly visible but as uh, as basil faulty once said it's over there between the land and the sky so you can see it but it's not like you're looking at waves crashing in on a beach it's not that clear but it's there so we have we've got a sea view hmm. and do you have an affinity with water I mean, I'm guessing yes, but... Yeah, you know, I've got a, 
I mean, I think Lynetta's worse than me in that sense because uh, I think she actually pines for it because right. she grew up by the sea. Yeah. Because Prasta, where she grew up, is is on the sea. Um, but when I say it's on the sea, it's on kind of what I would call weird sea in the sense that it's a very wide, I mean really wide, uh, bay or inlet. So it looks more like a lake yeah. than the ocean. You don't really get waves down there where, where Lanata is from. And it looks quite looks quite reedy. There's lots of reed beds and, you know, so it's not like my idea of sea, which no. is Cornwall. Cornwall or, or Maine um, in the US or somewhere like that. Yeah, somewhere where you'll get a few waves and a few rocks and, yeah. you know, there's a bit of a drop and a yeah. bit of a beach. A lighthouse in the distance, that kind of thing. Exactly. That's proper, isn't it? Copacabana. Now, that's proper sea. Wow. Um, but... Um, the sea here, and the in the main part of of uh, of, it's called Eno. The there's a little island called Eno. Um, and Imagine go, it being an island. You go over a bridge. <laughs> I, I wonder if Brian Eno was originally from here. Right. Um, he does look like he could be a bit scandy, doesn't he? I yeah. think there's a gene in there somewhere. You wouldn't want to be taking a big synth over on a bridge, though, would you? Oh, no, it's quite a solid bridge. It's not, Is it right? it's not a couple of planks. Right. You know, you can drive over in the car. Right. So I think you're safe with a synth. If we were ever to rename this podcast, we could use a couple of planks, couldn't we? <laughs> Two short planks. <laughs> ah, or one short plank. <laughs> or one short plank and one short plank. You could get... The options are endless. I, I think two short planks would be a great name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when, when if you ever have a, if done, you ever start of a limited company, you should definitely two, two short planks. <laughs> God, I'm having a good time for somebody. Yeah, I can tell. For somebody can with tell. a terminal illness. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's not a good number to finish your podcast run on, 103. Oh, yeah, it's not you a bad innings. You've got to make it, got to, make it to 105. <laughs> not a bad innings. Well, you've raised your bat. Yeah. 103. God knows. Yeah. Where were we? Uh, well, where we were was talking about... Uh... Eno. Eno, yes. And the fact that... Um... When you go over the bridge onto the onto the island, which is called Eno, but I think it's not pronounced Eno. I think it's got a line through it, not the island, the the O. So it, it's Eno, I think. I think it's Eno right. or Eno. I don't know. Um, I've only been living with a Scandinavian now for fifteen years, so obviously I haven't picked anything up yet. Uh, You've probably been told. Give me another decade. Uh, but anyway, it's got a lovely. What I'm getting onto is that's got a lovely beach with right. you know with with waves and stuff. So it's it's a lovely little resort, and it's got a couple of bars and a pizza place and a bakery and lots of places where you can buy fresh uh, fish straight off the boat. So it's quite nice. It's got that slightly. Well, it's just it just feels very real, seasidey. Yeah, seasidey, but in a kind of real way, rather than it's not over commercialized. It's still a lot. To, it's still like a little fishing village in a lot of ways. So it's lovely, it's lovely, and it's and it is about from here to that beach is probably about a fifteen minute walk. Uh, maybe 10, 10 to 15 minutes. Vibes and I trundled up there yesterday with the dog and it was nice. But there is a closer route to the sea um, and that's probably seven or eight minutes walking. Wow. So not far at all. It does sound idyllic, even if you're spending most of your time putting flat pack furniture up. I think once it's done, um, it's going to be... I mean, it's already nice. 
there's just a lot of crap everywhere because you know like anything when you when you're decorating there's crap everywhere because you're moving things around mm. uh, but once everything's been finished and put back it's going to be lovely and are you painting today i've already painted prior to this chat um okay. i've had my roller out right and i'm going to have my um me howden's set out as well i'm going to be doing a i'm going to be assembling some a bamboo sofa um as well because there's just no end to what i'm capable of no no and that's and that's with a deadly disease i'm not saying i'm good at it i'm just capable of it yeah there's a big difference there's a huge difference, but yeah. let's not dwell. You wouldn't want to hire a man who's capable of things. You want to hire a man who knows how to do them. Yes. You know, I'm capable of playing the guitar. Which is That's probably the best way of describing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best way of describing it. So have you not got, on the subject of Crooncast, have you not got any keys there then? Have you not got a little Bon Tempe thing or? I did have one, uh, which I borrowed off Lynetta's brother. Um, oh, now, why did I borrow that? I think I borrowed that for the Christmas Crooncast that we, right. we did from here. But we took it back to him. We we didn't imagine I'd be doing another one. Which, Acapella which, uh, then. Actually, so, what about a, a, a shanty, as you're so close? Do the, do the Danes have shanties? Um, I don't know. I've not heard a Danish shanty. I think they probably have, you know, somebody beating a drum and a load of guys going, whoa. Um, <laughs> but, but a sort of preparatory song for burning down villages in the, right. in the northeast of the British Isles. Right. Um, that kind of thing they probably right. have. Um, a nursery rhyme. <laughs> well, Mike Mosley went to see uh, a band called Leprous last night at the Royal Albert Hall. And so we were swapping texts, and I said, Oh, Leprous, that sounds lovely. Are they a girl band, a country and western? Um, anyway, unsurprisingly, they're a Norse heavy metal band, and he thinks they're fabulous. And he sent me a video. And I'm, right. I'm here to tell you that he's not well. <laughs> and that that's all I've got to say. But I've given right. him a plug. <laughs> check, check him out. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is five minutes of your life you won't get back. That's right. all I'm going to say. So when you all when you all took your records in for Mike to listen to so he could get a feel of the things that you liked... <laughs> Is that what is that what is that what El Presidente took in a bit of a bit of Norse metal? I should imagine he took magma in, which which is every bit as horrid as Norse metal, <laughs> and is his favourite band. Right, they don't sound warm and fuzzy. Well, I suppose warm, but not fuzzy. <laughs> no, I don't think magma are remotely fuzzy. No. They're uh, well, you've got to check Magma out. That's Indeed. ten minutes of your life you're gonna You're not gonna get back. Right. But you know, be my guest. Spotify's gonna wonder what's happened when he when this episode lands. Um should we go to that bit of diary? Um Yes. And it's quite a long bit because it's those two days. It's in fact it's going to finish off the year. It's gonna finish off two thousand and one for us. It's, uh, a, it's a return, of course, to to Coniston. Um, after um, Gina called me up out of the blue and asked me if I'd come and sing um, Out of This World at Donald's funeral. Um, I was very happy to do that, honoured, privileged, a little bit reticent because it was a bit strange. Everything about that was strange, you know. I mean, I never knew him. Uh, I wrote some words about him. Then a man went to the lake because he heard the song, found the bluebird, found Donald. His daughter arranged a funeral for him and asked me if I'd sing the song in the church at the service. I said I'd love to. And um, off, off I went with an engineer. We reasoned that 
it wouldn't be remotely practical to put the band in a church, in a funeral. Um, so I, I, I asked the boys if they'd mind if I just went on my own and sang it to the backing track, and they said, yeah, of course. And so I went with an engineer and a backing track um, the day before the funeral to sound check. And that's when things got really strange. Tuesday, 11th of September, Coniston, 9-11. Got up around half seven and saw Sophie and Niall off to school before packing my things and climbing into the car around nine for the drive north to the Lake District and Coniston. I have been invited by Gina Campbell to sing at the funeral of her father, Donald Campbell, tomorrow. Today, Stuart and I will head north and set up our sound equipment in the church so that I can have a run-through and check everything will work okay on the big day. It was a pleasant drive. The weather was fine and the traffic, even on the terrible M6, was fairly mobile. I arrived in Coniston Village around one and saw the red van already unloaded in the churchyard. Stuart said he needed a little more time before he would be ready for me so I wandered across the road for a half in the pub opposite. The bar girl asked me what brought me to Coniston, and I explained that I was here for tomorrow's funeral of the great man. Personally, I think it's not right, she said. I think they should have left him alone in the lake instead of dragging him around like this. I returned to the church where Stuart was all ready to go. He had set up a mic at the front of the church on the raised steps leading to the altar. He played the track and I sang over it while he ran around the church listening and adjusting the levels and EQ. It was all sounding pretty good, so we thought we'd have another run through for luck. Halfway through the song, Gina appeared at the back of the church and I felt my emotions surge as I realised the importance of this song in her presence. I fought the tears down and finished the song, whereupon she clapped and told me she thought it was perfect. So far, so good. I still have the real thing to get through tomorrow with a packed church full of the great and the good. And, of course, the few mortal remains of the man himself. Gina said she'd see us back at the Windermere Powerboat Club and departed. I suggested to Stuart that we pop back over the road for a pub lunch, so the two of us ordered sausage and Yorkshire pudding and sat down to wait for it to arrive. When it came, it was great, and we chomped our way through excellent sausage, while Stuart told me he had the flu and felt dreadful. We were about to get up and leave when I overheard a voice coming from the television in the adjoining room. People are jumping from the windows of the upper floors. At first I thought it must be a movie or some work of fiction, but the tone in the narrator's voice sounded too real. Oh God, I thought, the stock market has crashed. Stuart and I got up and walked into the adjoining room to look at the TV. Well, the rest is history. We stood open-mouthed and unbelieving at the sight that greeted us. The World Trade Center in New York stood in the center of the TV screen, belching black smoke from its upper floors as a TV caption beneath read, Plane Crashes into World Trade Center. As we looked on, a second passenger airliner banked at an impossible angle over the city and hit the sister tower like a guided missile, which, of course, is exactly what it and its passengers and crew had become. Heaping disbelief upon disbelief, we watched as the caption read, South Tower has collapsed, and shortly after, North Tower has now also collapsed. Then there appeared a close-up of the upper floors and the tall roof mast descending into a cloud of thick dust as we watched the tower descend vertically down into itself and the ground. 
The TV announced unconfirmed rumours of attacks on the Pentagon and more aircraft hijacked. Despite the feeling that reality was slipping away, I felt an appalling, rational train of thought take over me. I'm too old to be conscripted, and my children are too young, thank God. Could this be the beginning of the Third World War? Nostradamus's third and most terrible war, which will come from the East. I really wanted to go home, but today I can't. We emerged into the street and drove to Hawkshead, where a ferry takes you across Lake Windermere to the Windermere side where the powerboat club is situated. I'm not sure that I should have been driving. I was in something of a daze. Richard Critchlow, head of BBC News, called to say that he wouldn't be coming to Coniston after all and that he was making a U-turn on the M6 to return to London. Looks like Donald Campbell's funeral won't make it onto tomorrow night's news bulletins. Oh well. It would have been churlish in the extreme to reflect on the fact that I had lost yet another rare chance to sing on primetime national television. But it was hard to push the thought away, no matter how despicable it seemed. We arrived at the Windermere Powerboat Club and were allocated a room by John, the manager. Gina had arranged a twin room for Stuart and me. It was simply furnished, but had a huge bay window with a fantastic view of the lake and the hills beyond. We moved our things in before making our way downstairs to the bar for a much-needed drink. Despite tomorrow's singing, I broke a sacred rule and ordered a large scotch. I needed it. Gina's chums from Leeds started arriving. We all sat outside on the terrace overlooking the banks of the lake and talked incredulously about the mad events of the day, whilst getting increasingly well-oiled. This only added to my sense of the surreal. Around six, Gina and her partner Marshall arrived and we all came inside to the bar. Red wine was ordered, and despite my efforts to take it easy, everything began to slip further away. We asked if there was any chance of a spot of dinner, and John said his wife, an excellent cook we were to discover, could prepare us some cod. When it was ready, we were led through to the dining room, where we were served an excellent evening meal. My sense of the truly bizarre deepened still further when Marshall produced a ukulele banjo and led us all in a sing-song of some old music hall tunes. So there I was, in a powerboat club overlooking Lake Windermere, singing You Are My Sunshine to the accompaniment of a ukulele in the full knowledge that there was now a pile of rubble in Manhattan where the World Trade Center used to be preparing myself for the following day when I would sing Out of This World in church at Donald Campbell's funeral service and contemplating the fairly real possibility that World War Three was imminent. I'm afraid that was as much of a day as I could cope with, so I made my excuses and retired to bed. On TV in the room were endless images of carnage, fireballs, dust clouds and long shots of Manhattan enveloped in what looked like a nuclear explosion while horrific fact and conjecture vied for my attention. Enough. I slept fitfully, woken periodically by nightmares which were true when I woke up and panic attacks at the thought that maybe I wouldn't have a voice in the morning. I kept getting up and staggering around in the darkness, trying to drink water from a glass which I couldn't find, and not wanting to wake up Stuart, who seemed to be having much less trouble sleeping than I. What an awful day. Wednesday, 12th of September. Coniston. Donald Campbell's funeral. For the umpteenth time I had woken and stared into space. It was 745 Stuart had set an alarm clock for eight, so I waited until 8am, rolled around, and then I sang beep, 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 so that he could switch it off before it started. I hate alarm clocks, especially those quartz beepy ones. We both staggered around, shaving and showering and cleaning teeth, while I tried to decide whether to get my posh clothes on for the funeral, or wait until I'd had breakfast. 
I was still in a considerable state of reality slip as I arrived at the breakfast table to find most of Gina's chums already seated. There was a selection of morning papers laid out on the table. All my previous night's bad dreams captured in technicolour stills. I couldn't read them. I wondered by what percentage newspaper sales have increased this morning. On days like these, newspapers should be free. It seems wrong to charge people money to read reports of devastation on this scale. I ordered poached egg on toast and tried my damnedest, successfully for once, to consume it without spilling egg down my white shirt. Stuart and I were first to leave around 9.30, returning to Coniston again via the Hawkshead Ferry. Radio 5 Live crackled away on the medium wave as my car radio struggled to receive the signal amid the hills. More horror, more conjecture. Much talk of prime suspect Osama bin Laden, who, despite denying his part in yesterday's massacre, seems to be the man they all blame. How do they know? Drove off the ferry in the pouring rain wondering whether the cruise missiles are already on their way to Afghanistan. In Coniston, there was nowhere to park, so I left the car in a side street so that I could get to the church without getting my clothes totally drenched. An old deer opened a bathroom window to warn me, you'll get a ticket if you leave that there. I dare say she'd be on the phone to the police as soon as I'd walked away. Oh well. Today, parking tickets aren't even on my radar. Inside the church, Stuart and I managed to make a quick and final sound check. To my immense relief, the voice was working. Well, we've prepared enough. It's all down to my nerve holding now, and to Don's ghost not fiddling with the controls. Dave Megan, producer of Afraid of Sunlight, was quite certain Don's ghost fiddled constantly with the technology when we originally recorded the song. I managed to borrow a brolly from a chap called Novi and walked up the steep lane to the Sun Hotel, where I had arranged to meet Bill Smith for a drink at 10.45. I was a little late and seemed to have missed everybody, but at least I found a space in the car park, so I returned to the car and drove back to the sun, where I knew it would be safe from Super Gran and the long arm of the law. As the rain lashed down, I returned to the church under Novi's brolly. A crowd had started to gather outside, and policemen huddled and chattered together amongst a riot of umbrellas. I made my way into the church, and to my place on the left-hand end of the third pew from the front. Now came the long wait as Stuart played Mozart's 17th and 21st concerti for piano and orchestra. The congregation arrived in twos and threes. In front of me, various lords and lord lieutenants. To my side, the family of Robbie Robinson, Donald's closest surviving friend. Gina had organised a male voice choir and they arrived noisily shuffling seats and pews until they were comfortable and prepared. Mike Rossiter, who directed the BBC's documentary about Bill's search for the bluebird, arrived and sat down in the pew behind me. I said hello and we exchanged insincere pleasantries. I never asked him why there was no mention of our song in his documentary or why he failed to reply to or acknowledge my letter to him. Time passed and around one thirty, the cortege arrived. Donald's coffin, draped with the Union flag, had come to us first by launch across Coniston via the crash site and then by horse and carriage. Bill Smith and the rest of the pallbearers were visibly soddened by the heavy rain as they slowly brought Donald to rest before the altar, before taking their places. Behind came Gina and Marshall, along with Donald's widow, Tonia. The service commenced with a succession of hymns, all very traditional and churchy, and a minute's silence in honour of yesterday's victims of what was becoming known as 9-11. More hymns and a recital by the male choir followed. I began to feel that a performance of a rock epic might seem terribly out of place here, and my nervousness multiplied as the seconds passed.
I was to follow the tribute to Donald's life, which was to be made by Robbie. And what a perfect tribute it was, a heartfelt and sincere acknowledgement of Donald's life's work and character, by a man not normally given to public speaking, who portrayed his friend as a modest and decent bloke, his voice only cracking towards the end, when he said, I'm sure that Donald has finally found his bluebird of happiness. No one deserves it more. The vicar then introduced me, and I was up. I managed not to fall over the flowers or the step, and I stood at the mic with Donald's coffin at my side and Donald's lovely daughter before me. I thought, better get it right then, as the intro music of Out of This World came up through the monitors and my heart pounded. I held it together all the way to the last line, everything that she said, which I choked on a little. My, it was a relief to have finished. No one clapped, of course, so it was impossible to know the feeling from the people. Stuart gave me an encouraging nod as I passed him to sit back down, so I figured it must have been at least okay. The remainder of the service passed by in a bit of a dream until it was over and the coffin was carried down the aisle once more. I was heartened and touched by the number of people who later went out of their way to tell me they had enjoyed my song, one woman saying she had goosebumps throughout. I emerged into the street and followed the cortege through Coniston village to a graveyard some distance from the church. It was raining hard now, and amidst the crowd of umbrellas, the scene before me couldn't have been more poignant and funereal if it had been carefully scripted and designed for a feature film. At the graveside, the umbrellas clashed together, and water dripped into the collar of my jacket as the flag was removed from the coffin to reveal a dark blue casket, which was lowered into the ground. I had the honour of being amongst those to cast a handful of soil onto the casket, I privately said goodbye and wished him well as I did so. All this to a man I never knew. And so, for me, another strange cycle was complete. I wrote some words inspired by a childhood memory, which were to result in a woman being able to bury her lost father, and in a national hero finding his way to rest. I felt like going home now, but I had promised to return to Windermere to have tea with Gina and to attend a dinner in the evening. I phoned home as I walked back into Coniston. Sue still seemed shaken by the events yesterday in America, so I decided I would return home after tea in Windermere. Back at the boat club, I drank tea and ate scones, while a great many people, including the lords and ladies, had the decency to shake my hand and thank me for singing. Most memorable was old Ken Norris, who designed the Bluebird K7 to run at speeds up to 250 miles an hour on water, not 300, who shook my hand and said a somewhat distracted thank you. I said a brief hello cheerio to Tonia. I waited nervously to apologise to Gina for my early departure. It was difficult to catch her alone, of course, but I eventually butted in and explained why I must go. She hugged me in thanks and told me the song had been just right. Well, I was only there for Gina and Don, so I went away happy. Magically, the weather had changed totally and the sun was shining from a clear blue sky as I drove away from the boat club for the long journey south and homeward. fair to say would it be fair to say that the diaries don't follow much of a natural story arc i mean they are individual days and they're places of interest you've been and you've captured things as you've gone along but with with this there's actually a bit of story arc in it when you go back to the entry that we talked to bill about and then when you talk to these there's narrative in here isn't there there's and that is that 
Is that mean to say there's not a lot of narrative in the diary in that no, respect? No, no, it's perfectly true. Um, the diary was always conceived as... I think, you know, in the back of my head I had Kenneth Williams' diary because Kenneth Williams mm. published some diaries. But they were literally, you know, he, he might have just said, got up, switched the dishwasher on, you know, the vacuum cleaner was broken, and that'll be it. For, you know, and then a month later, he'd say something else, you know, went to the park, fed the ducks or whatever. Um, and so I thought that would be the shape of it, that I would I would write down days whenever I had time, whenever there was something worth telling, um, and that would be that. And I never felt uh, that I should um, catalogue every day of my life, and you know, and that 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 it would run from one day to another. Um, and that's what happened, really. Some years have barely any entries, and then other years are, are, have got masses. And that rather depended on whether I was touring, whether there was interesting things going on, and whether I could be asked to write it all down, or whether I was in a you know a frame of mind. You know, at the time I was writing a lot of this, my marriage was sort of crashing and burning to various degrees. And whenever I'd, whenever my ex-wife and I had fallen out or or were in any kind of crisis, and I was depressed, I wouldn't write anything. I never felt like writing anything when I was low. So, quite you know, quite a lot of the time period during which these diaries were written just is is absent. Because I was just too fed up to put pen to paper, I didn't particularly want to write about being upset or being miserable or being at my wits' end. Um, I just wanted to write interesting stuff, so I I didn't bother if it wasn't if it wasn't something I'd personally want to read. I, I guess I didn't bother. And similarly, you know, I never. There's not a lot of stuff in the diary. There's not a lot of sex and drugs and rock and roll stuff in the diary either because I, I, I didn't want to write about that either. Not that my life is an endless trail of sex, drugs and rock and roll, but, but I, didn't, I, I certainly didn't want, want the kind of rock, rock and roll star tells all sort of thing. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I think there's something a bit a bit pathetic about those things. So there we are. Well, I mean, today's, or you know, we've had 15 minutes today on, on your little sockets. Yeah, now that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I mean, more interesting the next than volume's going to be finding dense. out which actresses I've slept with. <laughs> yes, yes. Who wants to know <laughs> <Nobody>. that? <laughs> Nobody. Wants Least to of know all that. them. <laughs> yes. But we'd we'd like an accurate breakdown of every single size of every single attachment in your Howland's magic box. God knows I've had a few of those accurate breakdowns. I mean, <laughs> there was one thing I was going to because the the difficult thing about the the. The two sections about the the two days is is obviously because of the content matter. It's it's you know it's difficult to find questions to ask. But the one thing that did strike me, and there's an innate honesty in it, and actually it's two comments on the first day. Um, because funnily enough, I had the same thought actually when everything kicked off in Ukraine. Not that it really mattered because we weren't going to get involved. But that that comment you make about conscription, about you're too old and the kids are too mm. young which is a really natural human comment and i and i can remember thinking i can remember thinking something very similar and i was only, and i was only 13 at the time when the falcons war was mm. going on you know and i mean obviously that's purely about me but you think it about you and at that point i thought about my dad as well so that that was a, a very human thing to write down and actually quite a brave thing to write down as well and the other thing was that little moment where 
you were half expecting to be on the TV. Yeah. At yeah. the funeral. Well, it no, that was nailed on. It was a nailed on yeah. item one on the six o'clock news, and the, the literally the, the the head of BBC News, Richard Critchlow, was on his way up the M6. I mean, this isn't a journalist; this is head of news. So this was going to be, boom, you know, it was going to be the news headlines the next day. Um, so it it was, you know, as well as as well as being honoured and privileged to be invited to sing at such an occasion, it was at least slated to be a very high-profile thing. And I think Gina wanted that for Donald as well. She wanted a high-profile moment for him because he had been very famous during his lifetime and he'd, he'd been a, you know, for what it's worth, he'd been a great patriot as well. He'd You know, he always had the Union flags on his on his machines and everything and he it was all still very queen and country the whole the whole vibration of his um and so i think gina always hoped that um it would be a high profile event that would celebrate his life all over again you know maybe introduce a new generation of people to his efforts and his exploits and, you know, his successes and the great tragedy of his death. Um, so I think it meant a lot to Gina that this event had a high profile and got a lot of media attention. Um, obviously, from my own selfish point of view, it was it was a chance to be on primetime TV, which if you're, a, if you're in in show business or the music business is, is is something you'd give your eye teeth for anyway. Um, so I was, you know, I was being, I was ashamed of myself, uh, but at the same time I couldn't help but rue um, the fact that here was the head of BBC News phoning me up on my mobile to tell to say sorry and that he was he was turning around on the M6 and going back south and that was the end of that i mean it went from it went from being a news headline to not even being mentioned um and rightly so because all those i mean it was a monstrous tragedy i don't need to say it you know so many people lost their lives and the implications for world peace going forward, and the and a complete change in, in, almost a change in the world order overnight, and 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 the way that the world feels about its own security changed overnight, um, certainly for the West. And I saw that happen, you know. I I tootled Rosa, as I've said in the diary. I tootled around the White House one night, with 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 my wife, and sat at the vice president's desk and did all this stuff, and stood in the open door of the Oval Office. There's no way you'd get anywhere near that now, you know. You you've you'd have to go through three or four lines of security to get anywhere near that, and which, to be honest, is how I expected it to be back then. But it was almost casual. If you knew a couple of the right people, it was like, oh, well, you're not supposed to, but if you don't tell anybody, we won't, you know, and off we go. So it was incredibly relaxed, even at the, you know, even at the, in the White House back then. But now it's very uptight because they've, I think they, they suddenly realised and felt that they were under attack, and I th still think they do. They're under under permanent attack now. Well, I don't. I don't know if you get a Donald Trump if you don't feel that way. Yeah, um, it's true. It's true, and it's it's very very sad that 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 it's come to this. You know, 
that I guess there's always been crises in the world. And when I was a kid, I just wasn't aware of them. And I'd hear about them. And, oh, what's, what, what are the grown-ups banging on about? What's all that on the news? What are all those guys with guns on the news? Got nothing to do with those. Why are they always going on about that? That's how you feel when you're a kid, isn't it? So maybe it's always, maybe it's never been any better. But I think I'm just at an age now where I'm really sensitive to the problems of the world and so conscious of them. And they all kind of mount up in your consciousness, don't they, over time, and you have to. Well, I have to drink gin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, And you do that very well. I do, that. I do. I do it like someone who's had a lot of practice. It's one of your Practice skills. makes perfect, Ant. Mm. Well, indeed, and in this case, you are you are the example. <laughs> example. He's no such thing as a casual alcoholic. He's an artist, isn't he? Example. I thought that was such a great name for an artist. I saw him on the telly. I liked him. I wonder whatever. What happened to Example? Somebody write to me and tell me what happened to him. Right. I liked him. And and just before we go. Because uh, we're we're about we're about there for one oh three. Just before we go, um, there's no rug. The, 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 your new pad is short of a rug on the wall. Yes. No plans That's for a rug. True. Anyway. What I need to do is have a, a pop, pop down the. We need a light bulb. <laughs> exactly. Need to pop down the shop for a bog brush, and run into a, another genius <laughs> wizard. <laughs> Sells me. <laughs> Sells me the Dead Sea Scrolls or something for twenty five grand. <laughs> On another slightly related point, I've always found it weird that if you ever go and stay in a cottage, uh, or or you know you 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 rent a property somewhere by mm. the sea, and the one thing they have on the wall are pictures of the sea. Oh yeah. So you could look at uh, you could actually go to the window and see the sea. <laughs> Or you could stand in the room and look at a picture of the sea, and I don't get no, that. That's a good point. Well, we haven't got any of those up here yet, but we we haven't got. There's not much on the wall at all yet. We, I guess we're still not. We're not quite at the fripperies and finishing touches stages. Although right. Lynetta has filled the place with various hoogly hoogly fripperies, but they're not wow. pictures. They're um, there is a there is a silhouette of the Little Mermaid on the wall right. that's quite quite nice and a bit classy, uh, but we haven't any other pictures uh, just yet. Um, what I what I what really struck me about going to the seaside when I was a kid was that people would always call their houses. Something that ended in home, but spelt it H O L M E, sea home, or peace home, and uh, that that used to irritate me. There isn't an L in right. home. What's the deal with this seaside? You know, there's something awfully kitsch about throwing an L right. in home. Home, peace home, sea home. That's quite a particular little thing to get oh, that about. Used that used to get right on. Used to push my buttons. That right. to the to the point where you'd stride down the, somebody's drive and oh, no. go at them. No, but I would get cross. Oh, right, okay. right. You know, I'd have a little oh, moment. So, do you not go in Pease Home Park? Then? It should be respelt. Right. Because there's no E on the end of that, so they've gone some Ah, uh, so that's like Ian Holm, the actor, H-O-L-M. Oh, no, I'm yes. all right with that. No, I've got, no, that. I've got right. no truck with H-O-L-M. It's just the H-O-L-M-E right. thing. <sighs> right, so PZM Park's safe. Yeah, I think the H-O-L-M-E thing, in my head, goes hand-in-hand hand with people who have gnomes. You know, right. I, I find it bothersome. You know, not not enough to 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 want to personally address them or physically or or verbally assault them. Just you know, right. I find it cross making. 
what the hell's going on there, right. I usually think to myself. Right, so if you're listening and your house <laughs> ends is named and ends H-O-L-M-E and you are a fan of gnomes... Which, let's face it, you will be. You will be? <laughs> Any particular gnome? I mean, is it, is it the gnomes with the fishing rods in a pond? Is that particularly irksome or is it yeah, any, any kind of gnome? I mean, I think gnomes are a bit addictive, aren't they? From what I've seen, once you start with one, the next thing you know, they're all over the bloody place, aren't they? You've got loads of right. them. You've got them fishing right. and smoking pipes and just general, standing with their arms folded, grinning, you know. <laughs> you're off. Once you've started, you're, you're away. It's like body piercings. You know, you it's you start with an like earring, the next piercings. thing you know, you half a ton of blinking hardware dangling from your genitalia. <laughs> right. Right, okay. <laughs> right, okay, well... For this episode of Sad Cantankerous Male, uh, he's not the same when he's got Rona, folks. He really isn't. <laughs> uh, I think I think we've got to leave it there. I don't, I don't quite. Know, I don't actually know how to finish this episode off. Ah uh, yes. Uh, well, you do know. Right. Okay. Should I? Should I finish right, okay. it off? Well, I think you've I think you've already done enough. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll st- I'll start preparing. Enough. I'll start preparing the the apology. Um, yes. To go with the one that that I'm I'm busy working on for the Dutch, from from last week. Uh, Yvonne yes. Van Fien, uh sent a message, and I I don't think she was entirely serious, but. She did say, we're not all like that, you know. And uh, that, uh, that made me feel very ashamed of myself. And I did yes. say I love the Dutch. And yes. I did run into a very, very nice Dutch foursome in uh, Warsaw Airport who'd been at the Polish weekend oh. and were absolutely delight- delightful. And, uh, and you know, I... I had my picture taken with them all, and we had a good giggle while I was on my way to the gate. So yes. I should make... They were laughing because they'd just given you corona, and you were laughing... They probably uh... gave me this. <laughs> Damn, I'd nearly repaired. I'd nearly repaired my so reputation well. with the Dutch. There it goes again. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh dear. And if you are Dutch and you live in a house that ends H-U-L-M-E and you have gnomes and you like a, the odd thing. Yes, and you gave me a cuddle in Warsaw Airport, then then, then yes. I don't know what can be said. No. Just, just send me a letter bomb. Well, anyway, when you're back home, we'll, we'll, we'll get together and do 104. You might, you know... Hopefully you'll I'll be, be better. better and I'll be nice. Mm. Better and yes. nice. Yes, I've been telling telling Lynette that for years. Oh, that's yes. another thing. We were all um, we had a bit of a we had a bit of an Easter lunch the other day on Good Friday with some of Lynette's chums, uh, her girly chums from Denmark, and they 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 said to her. Have you ever been on the podcast? And she went, Oh no, 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 I've never been on the podcast. And I say, Oh, you should go on it. You'd be a scream. And I said, Yeah, you should come on it. You would be a scream because you could yeah. just rip the piss out of me as you do in the the rest of yeah. your life. Uh, so we'll have to do one with Lynetta if I can. If oh, I, I can twist her arm to get involved in oh, one of them, oh. we'll 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 have we'll oh, have yeah. her on. It'll be like Paul and Linda or John and Yoko, except that. She'll have a sense of humour. What we don't want to do is suggest an episode where Lynetta comes on at one end and Alison comes on at the other and we're not on it at all. That could make for good listening. It's not going to end well, though, is it? (laughs) Be quite short. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Right, you go and roll or something. Yes, I will. I'll get back to my bamboo furniture. Yeah, go and screw mm, something together. I will. All right. right. And we'll see you for 104, folks. Okay. Well, wasn't that... Was that lovely? 
Well, I, I was. I mean, I was. Well, provided you don't like gnomes, <laughs> I think it was oh, fine. Marvelous. Toodle pip, or should I say, hey hey, or what's the other thing they say sometimes? Oh fuck, I don't know. There, that's the end. Thank you, Richard Murray, Phil Rath of Phil Ray's. Thank you, Graham Musbride. Hope you will stay safe. Purple is the colour of bags under my eyes. Mucus on my shirt. Can't say I'm surprised. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. COVID's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, COVID's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, COVID's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, the bags it's coming home. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.